morning. It's great to see all of you. Good morning to those of you joining us online. Glad you're joining us that way. Um, for 2021, our theme is discipleship. And when I use that word discipleship, you remember what it means? Conforming to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others and for the glory of God. And we're in week two now uh, in our study from the book of Ephesians. And we're pursuing authentic discipleship using this book as an outline. Do you ever know something so well in your life that you think everybody knows it? Ever had that happen to you? I... Uh, read the Bible a lot, and certain sections I read over and over again. The section we're going to look at today is one of my favorite sections of the Bible, and I've read it multiple times. And one of the errors that I sometimes fall into uh, is I think, well, everybody knows this. You ever have that happen to you? Well, you know something so well, you think, well, everybody, they just should know this stuff, right? And then I begin to think, well, I'm going to share things everybody knows are going to be boring. And as I was going through uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and then uh, chapter 2 today, I begin to realize how impactful this scripture really is. And I begin to see some things new and fresh. So I'm praying for a couple things today. One is if, if the scripture I'm sharing with you today is very familiar, I'm praying that you'll see it with a freshness and a, and a new impact. Secondly, I know for some of you, what I'm going to share today is brand new. You've never really thought this through or even known uh, about it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would do a real deep work of revelation uh, in your life. Um, so last week we ended the service by praying from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And I didn't expound on that very much. Well, today I'm going to use some of that scripture as the big structure to hang the rest of the message on from Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm going to begin by reading to you from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read just verses 17 through 20. So hear this scripture, open your ears to it, be receptive to it. Uh, in your heart. Here's what Paul said. I keep asking that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. So here's our big thought for this message. All right? I want you to hear this. Here's our big thought. Paul prayed that God would give those who place their faith in Jesus an enlightened awareness. And that's my prayer for everyone here today. That's my prayer for everybody watching online. That you would have an enlightened awareness of what's up in life. Because that's really what Ephesians 2 is all about. That we have enlightened awareness. That we know what happens to those who reject Christ. And we know what happens to those who receive Christ. So you're called to an informed faith. We as the people of God, or an informed hope, excuse me. We are called to this informed hope. We don't blindly hope we don't just hope, hope, it'll hope happen. You know what I'm saying? We have this informed aspect to our hope. We know who Christ is and what he's about. And so our hope is of a different nature than somebody that just hopes so that something will take place. Amen? 
And secondly, there's an incomparable great power of Jesus at work in you that you can't minimize that. When you've given your life to Jesus Christ, there's this incomparable great power going on in your life that you would never ever experience otherwise. So as a disciple being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ for the sake of others and for the, the, the glory of God, you have to understand that you have an informed hope and incomparable great power at work in, in you. Um, get this background. When Adam sinned, when Adam sinned, fallen humanity experienced separation from God. That's one thing that happened. But this world experienced something else. It was given over to the dominion of sin and Satan. He became the prince of the air. That's sometimes what he's called. And the Bible talked a lot about the hopelessness and the brokenness that then fallen humanity began to experience. But we understand that Christ has come to set all that aright, right? To, to take back that land that was given over to Satan and reclaim it for God, uh, so to speak. So we are people of informed hope. And right away in the Bible, God begins to give us example after example after example of how this is going to happen. So in Leviticus chapter 25, we're given this principle. It's a really cool principle. It's called the near kinsman redeemer principle. And, and what it was was this, that uh, what was given to the ancient Israelites as a law was, if I lost some land uh, due to economic hardships or whatever be the case, uh, my relatives, the closer to me, the, the first in order would get an opportunity then to buy that land to keep it in the family so that the, the, that, that land wouldn't be lost to somebody else and it would stay in the family line. Well, get this. Our relative, Abe, uh, Adam, right? Is he not our relative? He's like our great, 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 great whatever, Edithium, uh, grandfather, right? He's our relative. He lost the land. There was no one there at that time to buy it back. And so when he sinned, this world was given over to the dominion of Satan. And for a season, Satan has his way, so to speak, in this world. But then God, in his great mercy, looked upon our plight and said, I'm going to send to them a near kinsman redeemer a relative. I'm going to become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And he came and he bought the land back for us. And that changed all the dynamic for us. And now we are reclaiming the land one person at a time in Jesus Christ. And God wants us to get this principle as, as, as all of his principles in the Bible. So you know what he does? He gives us stories of how this looks. And one such story is the story of Ruth in the Old Testament book of Ruth. In that book of the Bible, we, we, it begins by introducing us to this lady named Naomi. And her and her husband and her two sons basically are having a really hard time in Judah, so they go to a foreign land trying to make ends meet. While in that other land, Naomi's husband dies and both her sons die, leaving her with two daughter-in-laws. A widow who's destitute in a foreign land. And she says to her daughter-in-law, 
Just go back to your people. I don't know what to do here. One does, but one named Ruth said, I- I'm not going to go back to my people. I'm going to stay with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. And so Naomi and Ruth returned back to Judah destitute. But this is where the story becomes really neat. When they return, there's a kind, loving, near kinsman redeemer named Boaz. And Ruth basically goes to Boaz and says, do right by us. Naomi put her up to this, okay? Naomi told her about this, but, but she goes basically to this guy and says, do right by us. Be our covering. And Boaz marries Ruth and restores Naomi to her right place. And that, my friends, is a picture of what Jesus has done for us. Our forefather, our relative, Adam, gave away the land when he sinned. And we've struggled ever since. But God, in his great mercy and loving kindness, sent a kinsman redeemer named Jesus Christ, God incarnate, and he has bought back the land. Now, interesting thing about this kinsman redeemer, they had to have two things that they could do. One is they had the resources to buy back the land. Jesus had those resources. It's his blood, his righteousness, right? Poured out for us. Two, they had to be powerfully enough, powerful enough to expel tenants who are unwilling to leave when they should leave. Christ has been expelling the dominance of Satan ever since his resurrection. Amen? Right? One person at a time, he's been claiming back what is his and pushing back the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light is prevailing. And so with that bit of background, we can kind of know what's going to be presented to us now in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. We all have a Naomi story. We all have been in this place of brokenness and destitution where we, we needed to be saved. We needed to be redeemed. And for those who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman redeemer, we have been bought back from our sinfulness, right? We have been redeemed. The price has been purchased for us. And our incompa- in, you know, incomparable, strong Savior, Jesus Christ, has expelled the power of Satan from our lives. Amen? And we are new and born again in him. So with that background, now we can begin to understand the comparison and contrast that will take place in Ephesians chapter 2. We have a picture of what Paul is getting after here in the scripture. Let me begin by reading Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. I've just given you the introduction thus far, okay? So that will just help you understand what the message is really about here uh, today. So listen to this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So this world was given over to Satan for a season. God had a plan all along to buy it back, to redeem it by Jesus Christ. And now we understand that there's a a description of those who have rejected Jesus Christ here. And and what I want to do for a few moments is just give you some facts. We, we want to be enlightened people, right? We want to have an enlightened awareness. We want to know what is up. Amen, right? 
as God's people. And so Paul is doing that very thing here in this scripture. Um, but I, I wanted to give you some kind of background information here uh, on what's going on so you can understand the descriptors I'm about to share with you today. Because most people fall into this descriptor one. Um, fact one, I call it, people without Jesus as Savior and Lord are dead. They're dead. Are you okay with that? Do you believe it? People without Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord are what? They're dead. Years ago, uh, I think it was about my second year at New Hope in Williston, I watched this movie called The Green Mile. I shared this before here, so some of you might vaguely remember this. But it's a movie about a bunch of inmates on dead, death row. And one inmate uh, gets incarcerated who is innocent. And it's kind of the sad story about him uh, that he, he, he goes to his death anyway. But what was interesting about this, uh, this, this movie was when the guards would escort an inmate from their cell to be executed, they'd walk before and behind this inmate in this movie um, down this green corridor and they would say, dead man walking. Dead man walking as that person walked to be executed. Dead man walking. And that so impacted me because I began to see people this way. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, that person is a dead man walking. They're marching towards an eternity of separation from God and they're literally on this course of destruction, whether being informed or uninformed of this destiny, it is the fact of the matter. They're dead men walking. And I remember when I watched that movie and the Lord put this burden on my heart of this is what people look like who have rejected me. I remember going around Williston and praying for people with an earnestness and an urgency that I had not done before because I began to see them like God saw them. They are in a state of rejection. They're now objects of my wrath. If they die in this condition, they go to hell. And all of a sudden there was this urgency in me to pray for these ones and to lift them up uh, up to God. Um, and so I pray that that kind of urgency is birthed in you too. That you begin to see the world with enlightened eyes and understanding and insight. That you are a person of informed hope, knowing that the only solution to our world is Jesus Christ. And you realize that you're a person of incomparable great power at work in you because Christ resides in you, amen? And you can make a difference in somebody's life. So Paul describes the dead. I'm going to do that too. The dead described. They follow the ways of the world and the devil. There is no neutrality when it comes to the things of Christ. There is no good guy status In God's eyes, rejection of Jesus is a grievous sin. In that state of rejection, such a one is marching as a dead man towards hell. Amen? There is no way to soft pedal this. It is harsh in its reality. And I've heard people say, yeah, I'm good enough the way I am, or I don't believe the message, or I don't want it. Whatever the reason is, in that status of rejection, that person is a dead man walking towards hell. And if we're going to have enlightened eyes to see things with the right kind of awareness, we will acknowledge this. 
as bothersome as it is at times, we will acknowledge this. Such ones are dead people marching towards an eternity without God. The dead are further described this way. They are disobedient. I've heard this uh, and experienced people saying it to me. I'm just going to do things my way and God will have to put up with me. You ever hear that? You know, that is like one of the most prideful statements you can make. It's arrogant. That's putting yourself above God. Really? You're going to do whatever you think you want to do and God will just have to put up with you? But you you know what? If the Spirit of God is not at work in that person, what spirit is at work in that person? Spirit of Satan. And Satan is by nature disobedient and rebellious. So why does it surprise us when those who don't know Jesus Christ are what? Disobedient and rebellious. That is Satan's native language and he's just sharing it with the people that are following him, whether knowingly or unknowingly. Third descriptor of dead is this. They gratify the cravings of the sinful nature. This person has his or her life oriented from the outside in, backwards. See, we're born with a soul housed in a body. Right? Do you believe that? Every one of us is born with an eternal part. Our soul is going to go on for eternity. Mind, will, and emotions, right? But our body is temporary. It, it will die and, and, and we'll shed this physical body that we have. And, and those of us who love Christ will get a glorified body. But we are born eternal beings. And we, we who are, are, are born again have something special happen to us. When we ask Christ into our hearts, the Holy Spirit lives inside us. And the Spirit in us then begins to what? Transform our soul. And our soul is now under the dominion of the Holy Spirit. And we begin to think differently and act differently because we're controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit within us transforms our soul and it brings our body into conformity. It, it, it's, it, our body is, is brought into subjection to the Holy Spirit and we don't live by the impulses of our flesh. Amen? Because we're controlled by the person of the Holy Spirit. But if you do not have the Holy Spirit, what controls you? The cravings and desires of the flesh. You're an outside-in person, but those who follow Christ should be an inside-out person. Amen? And, and Paul says, for the one who doesn't have Jesus... The cravings and desires of the body will control them. And the result is this. They're objects of God's wrath. Because in the state of rejection of Jesus Christ, judgment happens. And I, I read this and I go, wow, oof, da. If do that, my Norwegian comes through. I just, oof, da, that's terrible to be in that condition. And it ought to bother us. A man woke up after surgery. It was really, really dark in his room. They had drawn all the curtains. And so he was a little bit uh, alarmed at the darkness of the room. And he called out to the nurse, why is it so dark in here? And she came in quickly and and began to open the curtains on the window and said, well, there's a fire uh, next door. And we didn't want you to wake up and think that the surgery had failed. (laughs) Yeah, that's terrible. (laughs) But get this. Get this. What is the problem of our world? If someone said to you, what's the problem of this world? What would you say? Sin. 
right? Is that not the source of all our problems? Sin and Satan? Who's got dominion over most of this world right now? Who's, where's the land be given to? Who, who has dominion? Satan. He's the prince of the air right now. Amen? So what's our, what, what are the results of Satan and sin? What, did, what, what does that birth? Ha, that's a weird way to say that. What does that produce? Death, right? If we're going to be enlightened followers of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand this, that the problems of our world are sin and Satan. And until people's hearts are righted, made right with God through Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what government we have. They can't solve our problems. It doesn't matter what economic proposal is made or whatever, although I like ones better than others. Those things aren't going to solve the problem because the problem is sin and Satan and church. Until we're the church and we really believe this kind of stuff, nothing's going to help, really. The solution is Jesus Christ and righted lives in order to produce a right culture. So let's go back now to Ephesians 2, which tells us now what it means to be alive in Christ. Listen to the scripture. I'll begin with verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who, in, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in coming ages he might show the incom- incomparable riches of his grace expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it's by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. God is described as one who is great in his love for us, rich in mercy towards us and in, incomparable in his riches of grace. Incomparable. There's just nothing like him, amen? So what do you, what, what do you see here in Ephesians chapter 2? Now remember, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that we may know and be informed in our hope, that we may be people who, who dwell in this incomparably great power of Christ. And then he gets to Ephesians chapter 2. And, and, and what's he doing here? He is comparing and contrasting the dead to the alive. The dead look like this. The alive look like this. He's enlightening us. He's informing us. He's educating us here on what is up in life. And so fact number two here, we've got to understand, people are made alive in Jesus. I want us to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 out loud together, but I personalize the scripture for you. So you're going to read it as though it's speaking directly to you. So if you're watching online today, I want to encourage you at home to make that a holy place, a place set apart to the glory of Jesus right now, and I want you to read this scripture with us too, out loud at home. So here we go. It's behind me on the screen. Let's read this out loud together, whether at home or here in the sanctuary. Here we go. For it's by grace I have been saved through faith, and this is not from myself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that I cannot boast. 
Grace is the divine influence upon the heart. It means divine enablement, divine empowerment, and divine favor. Um, so get this. Get this kind of thought process. God enables us to be saved. God enables us to live a godly life. God enables us to give generously. God enables us with spiritual gifts. God enables us to endure whatever we have to go through. God enables us even to seek him. God enables us to more and more live and have our being in Jesus Christ. God enables you and I to take the next breath. Every breath that we breathe is a gift from a God who enables he sustains this world, and he removes his presence. We are no more. He is the God who enables. Amen. He bestows good gifts on the righteous and the unrighteous. It's not a matter of deserving or not deserving. He is a gracious God, full of mercy. His mercies are new every morning, and his goodness is great. Sometimes, because of his great love and rich mercy, we begin to take him for granted. Story is told of a businessman who lived in New York City. And there was a vendor outside his business, a pretzel vendor. And this pretzel vendor was selling pretzels for a quarter each. So one day this businessman went down there, plunked his quarter down on the counter, but he did not take the pretzel. And he just went about his day. Well, that scenario happened for three weeks in a row. Every day he'd come down, plunk his quarter down. You could tell this is like from the 1960s not take his pretzel and go about his business. Until one day, when he plunked a quarter down, the vendor of the pretzels said, Sir, can I, just, can I, can I talk with you for a moment? And, he, and, he, and the businessman began to say, I bet you're wondering why I never take a pretzel. And the vendor said, No, no, not really. I just want you to know that the price has increased to 35 cents. <laughs> that's... that's Kind of terrible too, but <laughs> makes a good point. God gives us good gifts. Everything we have comes down from our Father of lights in heaven above. Every good gift comes from Him. Amen? And we begin to take our pretzels and stuff for granted. We begin to think we're owed this, that we're deserved a good life, or we're deserving the, of these good gifts. It's because of God's great mercy we're not consumed. It's because of God's loving kindness that he has delayed the return of Jesus Christ, not wanting anyone to perish, but all that comes to salvation. Romans 5.8 says this, you see, just at the right time when we were so powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We use this saying a lot, but it's really appropriate. His grace really truly is amazing. And the way we come to this God then is this way. You come through faith. This is one of the ways we describe those who are alive. They come through faith. And God's grace is really poured out on our lives when we begin to receive him by faith. But let me talk about how this happens. Let's say that I have a really, really nice car out in a parking lot. Whatever car you'd ever want to have. Maybe it's a, you know, a Dodge Charger or a Corvette or, a, you know, Mustang. I don't... I don't care what the make is. But say I, I say, I've got this car out there and I'm going to give it to you. Here are the keys. A couple things have to take place for this to really be the reality you experience. One is you have to believe I really have a car out there for you. Amen? Now I know today that none of you believe that, right? 
and you're justified in your unbelief because I'm not going to give anybody a car today. But let's pretend I really had a car and I was going to give it to you. So can you pretend with me for a moment? So I've got this beautiful car out there and you come up front, I, I pick your name and you come up front and I said, you are the recipient of this nice brand new car and here is the key. What do you have to do? Not only believe, but what else do you have to do with this key? You got to take the key. Amen? You have to receive it. When we say you have to come to God by faith, really it's simply twofolded. Twofold, excuse me. One, you really have to believe he is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. You have to believe that, right? And two, what do you have to do? You got to hold out your little hands and receive it. You have to say, I receive it. It's believing and receiving. That's what it means to come to God um, by faith. And um, Paul really hammers home in these scriptures to us today that grace is not something that we can earn or deserve. And that's our next descriptor of being alive. You realize salvation is not earned or deserved. A successful rancher was being interviewed. And the interviewer asked the rancher, why are you so successful? And the rancher said, oh, a couple of things. One, it's about 50% good weather. I've been the recipient of really good weather uh, over my lifetime as a rancher. And he said, the other 50% is really good luck. I've just been the recipient of, of, of good luck. And he said, the rest is brains. Think about it. That'll, it'll click. 50% good weather, 50% luck. The rest is brains. And, you know... Beloved, if we're going to really receive of God, we have to be humble. Therein is the problem, most of us. You know what it is? It's the person you look at in the mirror every day. And our propensity to arrogance and self-reliance and prideful will, it's a real problem. And we have to have humility if we're going to receive the things of God. It just has to be who we are as the people of God. We have to see we have a true need of salvation. We have to acknowledge that we can't do life on our own, that we're utterly dependent on God. We have to realize we're not earning it and we surely don't deserve it. Um, let, let's go to the result here. You who are alive are grateful for the amazing gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to say it this way. You wear it on your sleeve. It's obvious. You're very grateful. It sets the tone of your demeanor. It sets the way that you interact with other people because you're just grateful for being saved in Christ Jesus. Amen. It changes who you are as a person. This this great gift of salvation. The alive are just grateful people. And they're demonstrating it by uh, thankfulness to God. So I want to end today just a little bit differently. We talked a lot about salvation in here and all that kind of thing. I want to really nail this down. I, I do this every now and then. I haven't done it for a while. But I want to talk with you about salvation components. What does it mean to really be a believer? How does that take place in God? Okay? And, um, and um, some of you, you know this. Some of you don't. So wherever you're at, use it as an educational opportunity to maybe share with somebody else if you really know this. And if you have never done this, listen with your heart today and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Here's what I think are really important salvation components of moving from the dead 
to the alive status. One, it begins with an awareness. It begins with an awareness that you begin to see your state as not being good, that you're broken, that you're not happy, that you, that you are, are, are just feeling empty-hearted or whatever you want to use for a description there. And of course, the Holy Spirit can arouse that in you, but also other people can. The God often uses other people in our lives uh, to arouse some of this stuff in us. And the key verse here is Romans 3.23, which says this, For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's this acknowledgement, there's this awareness that I, I am not right. I'm broken. I, I need some help. Until you humbly come to that admission, you're really not going to really receive Christ like you ought to, okay? And so I always tell people who are interested in receiving Christ, you read the scripture out loud. I don't read the scripture for them. Like I, I have them look up Romans 3, 23. I say, you read that. What does that tell you? What's the problem? Sin. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let them read it out loud and hear it. Then you get to the second point, really important. Second component is admission. This means coming to a place of seeing that the need can only be met by Jesus Christ. And Romans 6.23 is a great scripture for making that really clear. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I find this fascinating. We're earning something when we're disobedient. We're earning hell. That's our wages. But the gift of Christ is free. And we have to just believe it and what? Receive it. There has to then be an acknowledgement. Acknowledgement is saying now, now I'm moving beyond this kind of realization that Christ is the, is the answer. And I'm now saying, yes, I believe Jesus is the solution. And you can go to John 14, 6 or John 3, 3, where Jesus clearly makes this known. He, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Or John 3, 3, where Jesus says, I tell thee the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so you have to come to this just clear acknowledgement. This is what I need to do to solve the brokenness in my life. And then we get to the fourth component, which is acceptance. And that's Romans 10, verse 9 through 10, which says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. What are the two components? Believe and receive, right? Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You have to believe and you have to what? Receive Christ. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith, and you're saved. And so I hope this helps you, but I, I, I pray if any of you who are sitting here today have never made that decision to believe and receive Christ, that you do so today. Because you're a dead man walking otherwise. Amen? That's your status otherwise. This is serious stuff. And so if you've never received Christ, I pray you do that today. 
And, and I'm going to pray for you in just a moment here. And I want to encourage you to go out in the chapel afterwards and, and grab somebody and pray with them. They would love to pray with you on this matter. Um, also, just note this. In your note-taking guide on the back page of where you've been taking notes is this discipling with family and friends and some further stuff for you to look at during the course of the week that will help you to really embrace the stuff that was shared today. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I am going to pray in agreement with Paul today. I pray that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would be people who live with this informed faith, that your incomparably great power would be at work in each person here as they confess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And God, it's interesting to me, right after that prayer, Paul, right away in Ephesians 2, there's a comparison and contrast of the dead and alive. It's like Paul showing us This is what enlightenment means. You understand what it means to be dead. You understand what it means to be alive. And I want to thank you for this teaching, Jesus. And I want to pray for anyone here today, Lord, who perhaps this is all clicking for the very first time, that they are in the process of saying, wow, okay, I'm aware now of my problem, and it's sin and Satan. I, I, I see, Lord, now, And I see clearly that the solution is Jesus Christ. And I pray they would get to that point then of, you know, of just acceptance of Christ as their Savior and their Lord. And I pray that someone make that prayer their prayer today, Lord, that they're even now saying, Jesus, you're my Savior and you're my Lord. And I give my life to you. And I pray they begin this wonderful journey of being alive. God, I pray that each one of us would begin to have a burden for those who are walking around dead. I pray it'd be bothersome to us, Lord, that we would pray with earnestness and renewed, you know, urgency for such ones, Jesus. And God, as you see fit, would you grace us with opportunities perhaps to be ones that can share in such lives, that can bring a glimpse of you to such lives, Lord. We love you so much, Jesus, today. Thank you for this wonderful vision of salvation. Thank you that you're our near kinsman redeemer. Thank you that we haven't been left under the dominion of Satan and sin. Thank you, Jesus, that, you know, the kingdom of this world is becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and you're going to reign forever and ever and ever. Praise be your name, Jesus. As we sing this last song, God, would you be lifted up and exalted, I pray, in our midst. In your name, Jesus, and all God's people said,